0: Was actually located on Mount Moriah as well, and when you know of Eden and the temple, you see some incredible similarities. Both the garden and the temple faced eastward. Both the garden was really a place where God would come and meet with man. The temple was exactly that as well. It was a connection point between heaven and earth, where God would, co- where man would come and meet with God. It was a meeting place. <laughs> When you went inside that temple and you went into the holy place of holies, the walls and floors were all gold. What you would notice is the intricate designs that were put on the walls were all flowers, trees, pomegranates, fruits. Even into the high priest's clothing were woven pomegranates and fruits and, and bells. It, if you walked in there, it would look like a garden, a garden of gold. Um, uh, uh, there was this veil, this big veil or curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And woven into that fabric were cherubim and where we know that it was cherubim that were placed at the gate of eden once man had sinned and been expelled from eden there were two cherubim that guarded the east gate into um into the garden so man couldn't get back into the presence of god so almost when you think about it this way this temple was was almost a reconstruction of eden it was, it was like because now man had sinned and couldn't have fellowship with God, God then instituted a plan to make a way for man to come back into fellowship with him. And what you're looking at in that temple is really, uh, it's God's effort and God's plan so that he could come and meet and have fellowship with mankind again. That's what this, this temple was. So it's highly symbolic, highly um, significant on where it was Located and unfortunately, that glorious temple. I mean, if I could go back in history, I would love to go back to that temple time, that Solomon time, and just seeing all of that. Unfortunately, it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. It was completely destroyed. The gold taken, everything taken, all the items taken. the The, the Israelites were then taken captive away from Jerusalem. They went to uh, Babylon, where they lived for 70 years. And then God brought them back supernaturally through King Cyrus, um, a a pagan king, you know, (laughs) supernaturally brought them back to the land and under Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, they actually then rebuilt that temple. And it stood for another five or hundred plus years. And Herod the Great came and he did a full renovation on it and remodeled it and got it all ready because Jesus was coming. Uh, I thought that was really cool that just before Jesus arrives on the scene, there's a massive upgrade to the temple to make it much more beautiful. <laughs> My father's house shall be called the house of prayer. Amen. So, so he arrives and it's all renovated and it's new for him. And Jesus comes and he brings a new covenant, a new covenant I make with you. Right? And, and in this new covenant, the, the temple place, the building changes. Changes from being a building to being us, the people. All right. And what we learn from that is that God actually never really wanted to dwell in buildings. He actually wanted to be with his people. It's a man who really likes to put God in a box and say, here's a building for you, and then I live over here, and then I come to you when I'm ready. <laughs> but what we see from Scripture is actually God wants to be in our houses and in our workplaces and dwell in and amongst us and be with us. He's actually quite relational. He's quite, he likes to hang. He likes to clear, we say in Afrikaans. You know, like, he likes to... was it in Zulu? Langa? Mlu, help me, bro. Hang. There we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So, so, he wants to actually be with us. Okay. And just after Jesus leaves, he warns Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem... Yeah, I, I, he, he wept for Jerusalem. Because he knew what was coming because they had rejected him because they had rejected his commands They came under judgment again the Babylonians back in 586 and then the Romans in 70 AD The Romans moved into Jerusalem and they slaughtered the city That's the the city ran with blood and the Romans destroyed destroyed that the temple that Herod had reconstructed completely Completely destroyed it taken every ounce of gold flattened it to the ground not one stone was left upon another and for almost 2,000 years, the Jewish people have been scattered all over the world. And it was only until like 70 years ago, 1948, that they became a nation again. We're we're living in incredible times. In fact, I would say one of the most astounding things of the times we're living in right now is the reforming of the nation of Israel. I mean, nowhere in history do you see a people scattered all over the world, a people as ancient as that, scattered everywhere, and yet still like almost 2,000 years coming back to the place and still having their culture and identity it's profound it's incredible God is doing something and and not only that the nation as it's coming together is beginning to prosper against in, against incredible odds they're literally transforming that desert into an oasis. The science, the technology that's coming out of Israel now is, is the world standard. Um, they, they are prospering in incredible ways. They, the, the literal rebuilding of the walls of the nation and the city is actually happening in front of our eyes. And obviously, the biggest thing, the biggest point of discussion is, well, what about another temple? And to actually just give you some insights, there is plans to build another temple. In fact, the nation of Israel has reconstructed right now everything needed for a new temple. If you wondered why people go to the Western Wall and pray, what they're praying for is the restoration of Israel and the restoration of the temple. If you see them standing at the wall, that's that's what they're praying for. That's what they're meditating on, the restoration of this temple. They have reconstructed every item, every utensil, everything. I mean, because it's all recorded in Scripture, every item, everything, the weight of everything. They have reconstructed everything. They even claim to have the Ark of the Covenant with them as well. I mean, down to the fact that they have reinstated the Levitical priesthood, the clothing for the Levitical priesthood, the order of the Levitical priesthood. They've acquired land for the, to, to raise the agricultural, to, to provide the sacrifices that need to be done at the temple. They've even got specific cattle that they've been genetically modifying for the last couple of decades in order to comply with Scripture requirements so that animal sacrifices can continue. So they have everything. The only problem right now is that on the Temple Mount, there is a big mosque. On the, on the place where the temple needs to be built, so it's a very hot potato. And so they have everything, they just don't have the ground on which to build it. And so it's gonna be very interesting to see how that outworks in the time that we're living in. I'm just sharing all of this so you understand the significance of the times we're in. Um, and so obviously this new temple is there a, a, as a plan for it and all of that, and, and the question that we have to ask ourselves is, so what is the significance of that? What if Israel actually built another temple? I mean, what if temple sacrifices started again? What if offerings started, what, 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 how would that change things? How would that impact our lives in any way? Would that, would that, and now what Jesus came to do, are we going backwards? Are we going forwards? What, what is this all about? Well, we're not going backwards, okay? <laughs> we're going forwards. Um, what's happening in Israel right now is, is in order to fulfill prophecy, there's prophecy that the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, they're, they're, that he'll come to a temple. So there almost there has to be a temple in order for him to come back to, um, according to certain you know prophecies. And obviously there's a lot of debate around these things. Okay, but but in a, in a few prophecies that there is the coming of a Messiah to a temple, and the return of a Messiah to a temple. So almost like for Jesus to come back, there needs to be a temple in place. And there needs to be Israel, and there needs to be a Jerusalem, and there needs to be all of these things in place. And so, what we take out of this, what we should, as New Covenant believers, take out of this whole thing, is that we are living in the last of the last days, people. The return of the Lord is imminent. There is, uh, we just have to understand the times and the seasons that we're living in, and, and just look at what's going on to know that the times we're living in are significant. However, when it comes to the temple, nothing really changes okay when we if you look at acts chapter 7 i have it for you it says the following it says however the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands as the prophet says heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool what is the house that you will build for me says the lord or what is the place of my rest so we we must understand this is really god is like i know you want to build me something nice but really guys it's it's not gonna you know I'm, i'm everywhere <laughs> I'm not my present, heaven is my throat You know, earth is like this footstool Like, what is? Are You really? You can't really put me in a box That's what he's trying to say And, and he's also trying to say that he doesn't want to be put in a box That he actually wants to be with us When we look forward even more into the future And we see the new heaven and we see the new earth What we see in Revelation 21 Is that um, there's this new heaven and this new Jerusalem And the Apostle John says I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So this is, this is incredible. Can you, can you imagine John, who's grown up, looking at that temple? Re- his whole life revolved around that temple. All the festivals, going to Jerusalem, partaking in it. The, it was the place of meeting with God. His whole life he knew Jerusalem as, as having a temple in it. And now he's seeing a vision of the new Jerusalem and the, the new heavens and the new earth. And the thing that stands out to him the most is... There's no temple. <laughs> there's no temple in it. Why? Because God is there and he dwells with these people and there's no more gap. It's kind of like, you know, if you were living in Joburg right now, I would need a cell phone to talk with you because there's a gap, there's a separation between us. But if you're in the room, I'm not going to use this anymore. I'm going to put this, I can just talk with you face to face. And same, like, there's a separation between God and man that Jesus has removed. And the temple was the tool, it was the telephone, it was the place, you know, it was the thing that God was using to connect with us, and now it's no longer necessary because of what Jesus has done. So, so where does God dwell now? I mean, if this is the future, like we know it's coming, and we know the, the reality of, of the fact that the, the temple has changed, where does he dwell now? Well, according to scripture, God dwells in us individually and corporately. I'll show you this in 1 Corinthians 3:16. maybe we can read it together it says do this God do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you could you turn to somebody this morning and say do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in you turn to the other person on the other side and say do you not know that you are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells in you. <laughs> this is not something that we really walk around. Like I am the temple of God. You know, it's, it's like, it's not really something that we own really even. I th- we, need a, we, need a, we need a revelation. We need God to help us with this. Because we are very similar to all of those guys in the Old Testament and how they thought about God being separate. And putting God in a box and putting Him in a place and having a tool and having that gap and that separation. And we we need a, a revelation of the covenant that we have in Jesus of this new, much more better covenant where we don't have to wait. Like David said, oh, my soul longs for the courts of God, for the temple, oh, when can I go and meet with God? Well, hello, in the New Testament, we can meet with God right now, wherever you are, in your workplace, in your car, in your home, walking down the street, going through the mall. Everywhere you go is a meeting place for God. God is not restricted by place anymore. Geography does not separate us from God. God is here, God is now. Here is Emmanuel, God with us, wherever we go. We carry His presence. We are the temple of God. You know, we've got to see that you do life with God now. That you have a new life in God and that your new life is to do life with God. And it's a skill. It's an art. It's something that we have to learn. Because sometimes we think that my pray time is where I go and meet with God. No. That's, that's wonderful. That's where you enhance the temple experience. But the temple experience never ends. When you're in the shower, when you're walking, when you're going, talking, you're exercising, you can commune and fellowship with God. There's no place in the world where God goes, Ew, I'm not on that street. Or where are you now? I can't come there. You know, there's, there's, He's everywhere. And He's where we go. We carry Him with us. And so we need a revelation. Lord, help us. Help us, because you know what, if you can grasp this, it can really change everything in your life. Yeah. It can change the way you do life, and, and we'll talk more about that just now. But this, so so there's, there's, there's actually four levels to God's presence, all right? The first is His, his, his omnipotent presence, all right? He's om, omnipresent, sorry. He, he is omnipresent, He is everywhere. Secondly, it's His indwelling presence. He lives in us, okay? That's what the Scripture is teaching. He dwells in us. His Spirit lives in us. The third is His manifest presence, and what is these manifest presence? Is he's dwelling in us corporately. There's a scripture here, I have it for you. Um, it says in Ephesians 2, in whom the whole building, okay, this is amazing. Okay, Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus and he's trying to explain to them that the building is gone, that you're now the building. In other words, you're all living stones. All right, so nudge person next to you and say, good morning, stone. All right. <laughs> so we're actually all living stones. Alright. And he says and he says this, he says, the whole building, that's us being fitted together. Come here, Langa, come here. Come here, come here. The whole building being fitted together. Okay, we we're we joined at the hip. We we're fitted together don't do that (laughs) we uh, we've been fitted together and i'm a temple of god he is the temple of god God's spirit lives in God's spirit lives in me but then look what happens when we join together in whom you're also being built together for what a dwelling place for god in the spirit so thanks so so as we we carry the presence of god but as we come together we create a dwelling place and this is what we call, like theologians call, it, the manifest presence of God. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? When, you, when you've walked into a worship service or a church service, and God is in the room. You know, you just, God is here. He is here, we, you know, he's in here, but he's here. You know, I, I can't touch him or whatever, but I know he's here. The, the, the presence of him is around me, okay? That's the, the manifest presence of God. And when we come together, and, and there's unity amongst us, and there's love, and there's all the, the, the right stuff amongst us. We almost become irresistible to God, and what's inside begins to manifest outside amongst us. It's the manifest presence of God. So He dwells in us and amongst us, individually and corporately as well. So what does this really mean for us? Well, we have to understand that you are a carrier of God's presence. You're a vessel That carries the presence of God. If you're the temple of God. The the real bottom line of the temple. Was it was the place of God's presence. If you're the temple of God. You're a carrier of the presence of God. Which means the way you steward your temple. (laughs) Determines how well and how much of that presence of God you enjoy in your life. The way we steward our relationships here in this room determines how well we will enjoy the presence of God when we come together in worship or fellowship, and connect or whatever. We have to steward the temple of God. Amen. Now, I want to just whet your appetite for a little bit about God's presence. Okay? Why is this so amazing that we are the temple of God? Like, what, what is the amazing thing? Okay, I'm the carrier of God and His presence. What? Is, what like, Why? You know, what, what is this all about? There's this cool passage I found in Exodus 33. It's God speaking to Moses. And he says this. And he says, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Okay? From that moment onwards, you can go and do an Old Testament study, okay, about the presence of God. And what you'll find is that rest is found where? In the presence of God. What you're looking for in life. The nagging of your soul, the, the, the unsettled feelings that you have, the frustration that you have, the agitations you have with this world is not going to be satisfied. It's not going to find rest in anything else but in the presence of God. The world is going to try and offer you, like you need a holiday on an island. You need another car. You need this kind of house. When you move to that neighborhood, when you get that kind of job, when you do that, you will find the rest that your soul is looking for. The Bible says, no, there is no rest. But in the presence of God. When man left the Garden of Eden, what do we see? Work and toil, and by the sweat of your brow you shall eat your bread. We see the land coming under a curse. It's like we left the presence of God and life. As we know it today. But it doesn't have to be like that for us in the New Testament. It doesn't have to be like that. God came to reverse the curse through Jesus Christ. He became a curse for us on the cross. So that we don't have to live like that any longer. We don't have to wait to go to a particular place to find rest in God. We can, if we steward the temple right, enjoy the rest of God wherever we are. You can literally live in the rest of God. You know, I see this with some people. I've had conversations with them and they're like, they're they're on a mission to get something in life. Because there's this knowing sense of inadequacy or this knowing sense of insecurity that I'm not who I am until I have this or be this or do that. Do you know what I'm talking about? We, we can see that thing in us. And it's like it causes us to strive in this world. I must get to there and I must get that. And there's this working and this toil. And that thing is never satisfied in anything temporal. It's never. We never get something in this world and go, "Yes, I've arrived." (laughs) Never happens. The only place it's going to happen is in the presence of God. There's nothing that will satisfy you more than the presence of God. There's nothing that will complete you more than the presence of God. There's nothing that will heal you more than the presence of God. There's nothing that will deliver you more than the presence of God. I remember having a prayer meeting in this. In this, I can't even explain the whole story because it's too long, but with with some people that we were helping. (laughs) And we were in this room, and we were praying, and the manifest presence of God came, because we were united, you're right? The manifest presence of God came, and their drunk friend, who was on the streets, came running up the stairs into the block of fats, came through the door, walked into the room, collapsed on the floor, crawled on his hands and knees to the wall. (laughs) held the wall with tears pouring down his face and said, the presence of God is here and was delivered from alcoholism in that moment. That is is the presence of God. Like, who wants to see some more of that? Like, don't we need that? So, you know, like ministry is not about striving in my flesh to get somebody to get a revelation of an understanding. No, when we carry the presence of God, all the work is done. Everything is accomplished. It's What we can never accomplish in our own strength and through rationalism and reason is is accomplished in the presence of God. We're completed in the presence of God. We were designed for the presence of God. That's what Eden was there for. We are meant to live in the reality of he is with me, I am with him, I am secure, I am safe, I have a father. I, I don't need to worry about that sort of stuff. I don't need to strive to be something, to do something, to be someone. I am loved, I am accepted. You know, when I, do you know the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so the way I kind of interpret the whole thing is Solomon builds the temple. We read that in Second in Chronicles chapter 7. He builds the temple. They offer all these sacrifices. I like 20,000, 22,000 cows, 20,000 this, 20,000 that, it was a bri of note, okay? And, and the fire comes down from heaven and the glory of God fills the temple. And they couldn't even enter the temple. I remember getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and I, I was in a Catholic youth group at age 14. And the glory of God filled this temple, me. Right? That, literally, that's what, that moment of Solomon is really the moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he comes on the sacrifice of your faith and he fills you with his glory. And, and it literally his presence comes and resides in you and then lives in you consistently, continually. And the more we walk in the understanding of that and the revelation of that, the more we can cultivate it and enjoy it. Because, let's be honest, this morning, there are levels <laughs> to God's presence. There are times when we experience it, like, erratically, and there are times where it's like, Lord, are you here? You know? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest, all right? Like, God, are you, re-? you know? And and so we have got to learn the art of of cultivating God's presence in our life. This is what David really understood. Like, if there was anything that he totally got, it was... The presence of God. He understood that thing. All right. Because not only wherever the presence goes, I'll give you rest. that scripture. But wherever the presence of God goes, guess what? There's also victory. Not only victory, but there's also prosperity as well. I mean, when they marched with the ark in front of them, enemies were destroyed. When they marched with the presence of God as their number one thing in life, the enemy was just killing itself, destroying itself, because they were putting the presence of God first in their lives. They were putting the presence of God in front of them. They were cultivating the presence of God, stewarding the presence of God. They knew that the presence of God, the battle is the Lord, the victory is ours. The presence of God did it all. Your job is not to go out and fight every battle. Your job is to steward the presence of God in your life. Your business may be struggling, battles on every front. What's your job? Cultivate the presence of God in that place. Your workplace is a mess, your colleagues are fighting with each other, someone's trying to stab you in the back. What do you need to do? Cultivate the presence of God in that place. God will solve that, God will heal that, God will destroy that, God will blow away the wicked like the chaff. What we need is not another battle strategy. (laughs) We need the presence of God. David, like, he got that. He, like, watched, okay, he read scripture, he saw battle. Presence of God goes in front. They needed to cross a river. What did they do? They went with the presence of God first, and the river parted. Hmm. Okay. So it's the presence of God (laughs) that makes the difference. And so, when you read the Psalms, what do you what do you hear in David? Psalm 27. One thing I desire, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell where in the house of God and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. One thing I desire. And this only do I seek. One thing I desire is to be a temple, in the temple, in the dwelling place of God, to dwell in the house of God all the days of my life and to behold Him in His sanctuary. He, it was, he, he, re- he made His one thing about the presence of God. One thing, I'm about, I'm a temple. So now, like, if we, David would be jealous of us. He would be, you know what he did to get the presence of God? He conquered Jerusalem, right? He made it the capital city. Jerusalem okay the beautiful city he made it his capital city but then he was like I'm not going to live here without the presence of God so he took the ark from Gibeon which was the place where it should be where the the tabernacle of Moses was and he audaciously brought it to Jerusalem and he made a tent for it they call it David's tabernacle and he instituted thousands of worshipers to give 24 7 prayer praise and worship unto God why because he didn't want to have a city without the presence of God he didn't want to have a home without the presence of God. He didn't want his business. He, and guess what? The fruit of that was that Israel then conquered their enemies and had peace for 40 years. Because he brought in the presence of God into Jerusalem. And then he built his whole life around it. And, and he would be so jealous of us because he would have to go to the, 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 the tents. And I, one thing I desire, that I may dwell lap, you know, right there, like in the, in the presence of God all the days of my life. Oh, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts, the temple of God. There was this yearning in him to go there, like he would go fight and come back to this place. Uh, So we would application for us, we would do well to understand the value of God's presence. That it's really the differentiating factor between you and the rest of the world. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, Lord, I'm not interested. Please don't. How How else would we be different from anybody else in the world? What is different between you and the world? It's the presence of God. It's that His Spirit lives in you. I say this often. The only thing good about Wayne is that God chose to put His Spirit in me. Without that, listen, I'm a wreck. I'm in clubs, taking drugs. I'm, I'm like a mess. I know what I am without the presence of God. I'm a wreck. I'm destroying relationships. I'm like, the, you know, I'm out there. You know that old Wayne still manifests every night. I'd get back, you know, get behind me. <laughs> but the only thing good about me is that He puts His Spirit in me. And now my job is to cultivate that and let that influence every part of my life that I really would be a living temple. That when I would actually be a meeting place for others to find God. I mean, that would, that's, that's another application point right there. You can write that down. That's good. If you're the temple of God, you're a place others can meet God. You're a place others can meet God. And do they meet Him when they meet us? Well, I mean, like, let's ask that question, you know. So how do we do this? How do we go about cultivating the presence of God in our life? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this, and I want us just to quickly look at the old, te- the Temple of Solomon, all right? And when we look at this temple, remember that it was a way to meet with God, okay? And so there's elements that were there that are actually reflected in our lives today, and I want us just to quickly look at those elements as some pointers so that you can cultivate the presence of God in your life. If, if, you, if you take a look at the temple, right, there were three sections to it. You had the outer courts, okay, the courts area, outside the building area. Then you had that holy place, and then you had the holy of holies. And that's really like spirit, soul, and body, okay? So if that temple, that's you right now, okay, that temple. We know that the holy of holies was the, the place where God would reside. And we know the Bible says that God is spirit. And he who worships God must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, so, so there's no connection between you and God unless the spirit of God is living within you. Alright, God is spirit. He doesn't speak to our minds. He speaks to our spirit man. Okay, so the spirit part of us is the most holy part of us. It's like the holy of holies. It's the place of fellowship and communion of God. It's the place of God's presence. It's what we carry. But then add on top of that, we have this thing called the soul, (laughs) which is often a bit of a mess. Our souls don't really look like that holy place of gardens and fruits and golden menorah and showbread, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that now. But our souls kind of look a little bit dark, and there's a little few gremlins working in there, and some anger and some frustration. And come on, you know, let's be real. This morning, our souls get messy. Okay, they don't look as clean as that. And then there's the body. Okay, our externals. All right, and 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 really, also that has to be in alignment. Now, the first thing I want you to note about this temple is that it was built exactly the way God wanted it to be built. In the exact location, the exact measurements, down to the weight of every item. That's, that's how this temple was built. And when David wrote in, Chronicle, in Chronicles, he said something amazing. He said, all, when he was building and designing the temple, okay, Solomon had to build it, he wasn't allowed to. When he was building and designing it, um, he said this, he said, and God made all of this known to me by the writing of his hand upon me. And if you read it like in Hebrew, it's quite a confusing statement. But when you like open it up, what he was literally saying was God put his hand into me and wrote the design of the temple. It was literally like, you know, like how um, the, the, the Gospels and the New Testament was written by inspiration of the Spirit of God. It was like God literally put his hand into David and wrote all that needed to be done for the temple. And David stood back and just went, you. Have you ever encountered that? Where you just like, you, you like sit down to like, Lord, how am I going to solve this? And the next thing, <gasps> wisdom just flows. And you're designing and you're building and you're organizing and you're doing this and you're doing that. And then you sit back and you go, was that me? Was that me? I think that's our life. That's how we're meant to live, okay? We're meant to live with that flow of God's wisdom in us. Amen. Ah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, so there he is designing the temple. when you rewind to the tabernacle and you look at Moses... Moses was given exact specifications on how to build the tabernacle as well. So the first thing we notice about the temple, if you're the temple, is this, is that we have got to build our lives in alignment with God's plan for our lives. If you really want to enjoy the presence of God more in your life, you have to align your life with the values and the principles that God wants you to be aligned with. Your temple can't be like someone built a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit over there, and, and like any, like, you know, all over the place, and then we still expect to be a actually carrier of the presence of God. Why was that temple built to the exact specifications? If you look at, the, I don't even have time to teach on this this morning, but if you look at Hebrews chapter eight verse nine, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, what you'll see is that they were building according to the model of a temple that was made without hands. There was a heavenly temple. There was a temple in the heavens, the one that Jesus carried his blood into. When he was resurrected from the dead and they came to, the, the woman came to touch him, he said, don't touch me, I haven't yet ascended yeah. to the Father. He, he was like, just for now, all right, I'm going to come back, all right, but for now I need to go to the holy place. After that stone had rolled away, he ascended on the high, and he went into the temple that was made without hands, and he offered his blood in the Holy of Holies up there. So what they were building on earth was matching what was already in the heavens. When what's in the heavens or what's on the earth matches what's in the heavens, there's connection. There's a connection that takes place. And guess what we see? The fire of God falling down when de- Solomon dedicates the temple. What do we see when Moses dedicates the ta- tabernacle? The fire of God falls down. There's a connection. The way I think of it is like this. is I've got these pictures of two um, waves. All right? This is for all the physics lovers amongst us. Uh, there, there's, like, those are two waves. Okay. The top wave, let's say, is, is heaven. It's the frequency of heaven. The bottom wave is your life. Babimba, <laughs> A little bit out of sync, okay? Like, until we really master... This is, this is why I say it's an art. This is something that we grow in, okay? We, we have got to get onto the same wavelength as heaven. I can tell you now that top wavelength is not going to change and adapt to the bottom one. <laughs> the bottom one needs to stretch out a little bit more, become a little bit more flowing. A little, and, and when the bottom matches the top, you see a, a release of the presence of God more. What does that mean? It means this is that you can't know what's right to do with your life and do wrong and expect to have the presence of God. Does that make sense? You, you can't be living in an immoral relationship and still be expected to be a carrier. You're, babimba, you're out of sync with heaven right now. The times that I've experienced the presence of God the most in my life has been when I've been most obedient, when I've been most obedient, when I've obeyed Him the most, and it's been hard, and I'm like, and I've done what He's asked me to do, and then, wow, there's a release of His presence. You know, when I broke up with Trish, all right, before we were married. Don't panic. <laughs> I knew God was telling me to marry this girl. I knew He was telling me. I knew what He was telling me, but I was so scared. And I was like, I'm not ready. So I broke up with her. It was the worst three days of my life. It was like the presence of God had left me. I was in turmoil. There was no rest. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, let the peace of God rule as an umpire in your heart, deciding and settling all matters and questions in your heart. know that scripture? That we have been made to be led by the peace of God. What is that? That's when we, when we come in sync with God, we carry the peace of God, we carry the presence of God. Without that, we're out of sync. And there'll be no rest for you. That's why the worst place to be is a backslidden Christian. Because you know the truth, but you're so not living the truth, so you can't experience the blessing of the truth while you're living in a lie. It's the worst. The worst place to be. Because there's just no satisfaction for your soul. Right? So, so we've got to learn, the first point about this, is that we've got to learn to be in sync. Okay? In sync with heaven. You live where he's telling you to live. You pick up the ministry that he's telling you to pick up. If he says make disciples, go make disciples. If he says give, go give. If he says give a tenth, give a tenth. <laughs> you know, if you're doing nine point five percent, like I'm telling you now, you're rubbing yourself of the presence of God. That's you know what I mean. You every every time we're not stewarding the temple, putting it where it needs to be, we're we're rubbing ourselves. Does it make sense? Okay, the second point I want you to notice about stewarding your temple is the outer court, the outer areas. The, if you could go back to that picture. Um, that outer area of the body. <laughs> Pastor, can we still eat, eat knickknacks and KFC and enjoy the presence of God?
1: <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road, okay?
0: You've got to look after your body. body. You've got to look after your body. But there's something more about this. That was the area where the sacrifices were made. You can see the big altar outside where that was continually burning. Okay, um, With sacrifices, morning, day, night, there was always sacrifices taking place there. That realm is, is the realm of sacrifice, okay? If we want to enjoy the presence of God. There's this, there's this misunderstanding in the church today that sacrifice was an Old Testament thing. I want, I want you to know that it's, 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 it's a New Testament thing too. And if you doubt me, go ask Jesus, because he was a sacrifice. <laughs> Go ask the Apostle Paul, because he called himself a drink offering and a sacrifice. When he wrote to the church in Philippians chapter 2:17, he said, I'm pouring my faith out. I'm pouring out my life on the sacrifice of your faith. Jesus said, if you wish to follow me, count the, the cost. Okay, there is sacrifice to following God. It's not really something we like to preach about or tell. We like to say, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. <laughs> and, and while the gift of God is free and salvation is a free gift, right? Destiny and purpose in God will cost you everything. Salvation is free. You get in the door free. But then when you get in the door, you find out there is more. The, t- the story doesn't stop with salvation. Hallelujah. Like, like, Listen, the end of church is not like, let's get you to confess a prayer and give your life to Jesus. That's not the end. That's the start. That's the start of the journey of an adventure of living a purpose, of living a life called by God to do something. Living a purposeful life. That's, and th- that purposeful life, that life of destiny will cost you. And so many people just camp out at salvation. don't want to give God more you know I always just say this to kids on campus I say like you give God 10% you're going to get 10% back bro. give him 100 you're going to get 100 And it's true there's this thing about there's a cost to following Jesus and we've got to pay that cost we don't pay when in animals being sacrificed anymore and and uh, grain offerings and all of that but what we do is we present our bodies as living sacrifices we sacrifice we, we offer our hands we offer our feet we offer our mouths. We get our body up out of bed early, and we make the sacrifice of praise unto Him. Yeah. We make the sacrifice of making disciples, of advancing His kingdom. The more, like, It's possible, guys, that you, you could have a Christianity in your mind where you think that, 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 that actually God is there just to serve you. Yeah. And if you maintain it, and He does, He serves us. Okay, don't hear me wrong. But if that is just the, the end of your mentality, like it's just like Him meeting my need, you won't experience the presence of god like you can you won't it's not just about you meeting Him. it's about offering yourself to him it's about bringing your life to him following him so there is a cost and you must know that you know there's times where he's going to ask you to do stuff and and it's and it's going to be a sacrifice but know that there's always a reward of more presence i don't think anybody got this more right than jesus i only do what i see the father do. i mean he was completely in sync and aligned with heaven and he enjoyed the presence of God wherever he went, the presence of his father so that's why Paul oh, yeah, wrote to Romans and he said I urge you then brethren present your bodies as a living sacrifice a faith, a religion that costs nothing gives nothing suffers nothing, is worth nothing Martin Luther said that
1: originally it gives nothing, costs nothing suffers nothing, is worth
0: nothing Let me ask you this this morning. Is it costing you to follow Jesus in any way? Or are you so trapped in your own comfort and thinking that God is just there to meet every one of your needs? I can tell you now, you stay there, you will not be a carrier of his presence. So when you step out of your comfort, you sacrifice a few mornings to seek him. You sacrifice some time and you sacrifice energy to serve and build his kingdom and pursue his kingdom that you start to experience what it means to be a living temple of God. Alignment, number one. Sacrifice, number two. Number three. Let's talk, go back to the picture, please. Thanks, Norco. Um, just that, that soul realm. That soul realm. What a beautiful room that is. There were three items in that room. There was the menorah, which was like a lamp stand with seven branches on it. It never went out. That candle was lit. I don't know if it was candles. was oil lamps. Oil lamps, they were lit continuously. There was no light getting into that room, but... Through, but through those menorah. Okay. The other object, that was an object number one, no, object number two was, was there was showbread, one loaf of bread for each of the tribe, 12 tribes of Israel, okay, 12 loaves in there. And then there was the altar of incense. You can kind of just see it where the priest is standing before you enter into the Holy of Holies. There's an altar of incense, and it never stopped burning incense before the Lord, and it was a special type of incense that we were not allowed to use in any other, in their homes or anywhere. It was only to be used there in, the, in, in that place what is the symbolism of all of that okay this will help you this morning to get your soul right okay david said this he said my soul is like a weaned child within me like a weaned child is my soul within me um i think it's psalm 133 thank you mac well that there it is i uh, know 131 okay like a weaned child is my soul within mm. me <laughs> mm. um so yours so your, your soul is like a baby You know what I'm I'm talking about? It cries often. It whines. It complains. If it doesn't get its way, it's like this baby. This is ah, I want this now. And if I don't get this now, then I'm like, I'm freaking out. Okay, so so is the soul, right? I think that's the best illustration for it, and I find that's true of my life, you know? So the soul is like that place. And David had learned the art of weaning his soul off the things of the world and onto the things of God. So weaning a child is, am I right, is when you take it off milk and put it on solids. I'm right here. Huh? Thank you. It's been a long time since I've had babies, okay? So <laughs> So. so this, there's this thing about the child that wants what's easy and what's quick. And the breast and the milk is quick and it's easy and it satisfies just like that. Okay. Food is a mission, I don't to chew this thing, you see babies, they're chewing, I'm hungry, I can't get this thing quick enough, you know, it's a, food is messy, it's like, you know, and, and, and so, you know, very smart who invented purity, that helped us a lot, you know, but, but there is this, the, the illustration David's trying to say here, is the world is like the milk. Okay, that's the quick, it's the easy satisfactions that your soul wants and looks for. Recognition, satisfaction, new thing, a new this, a new that, or whatever, okay? Your soul looks for that. And he says, I've weaned my soul off of the easy, quick stuff. And I've trained myself to, onto the word of God. And it like a weans child within me. It's like it's, I've gone through that process. It's been weaned. It's no longer difficult. It's no longer hard. But I've trained myself onto three things. The bread, the word of God. I've trained my soul to feed on God's word. You have got to learn to feed yourself, people. Like, this is a wonderful moment where you're getting fed, okay? But you have, if this is all you're getting, like one meal a week, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to survive out there, okay? So you need to learn to feed yourself. So that's what the bread was over there. And, and 12, one for each tribe. You, you, every day, okay. There needs to be this ability in you this, that you feed on God's word. And what does it mean to feed on God's word? You know how to get the nutrients. Break that scripture down. Dismantle it. Look at it. Reflect on it. Get it from up here down into here. Let it be absorbed into your body so that it becomes part of who you are. Yes. Feed on the word of God. Okay. Secondly, the the, the menorah, the light. Okay. Speaks about the rhema the word of God. That's what the, like David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, okay? So the word is a light. So there's a difference. There's the Logos word, which is what we eat, okay? It's the Bible study. It's the getting into the word and feeding on it. Then there's the rhema word. It's the word that God is speaking to us now. What is God saying? What is the season you're in? What is, what is, what is, what is he doing in your life? You take that word and you never let it go out you keep it on your lips all the time like that menorah never went out if if you're in a new season where god you've come out of a wilderness season and you're entering a promised land season, and god is like that's the rhema word for you then that's what you declare every day you get up and you say father thank you that i have left an old wilderness season and i'm stepping into a promised land i thank you that you're doing a restoration of relationships a restoration of purpose in my life right now you begin to declare what god is doing
1: menorah rhema word
0: of god and then finally, the altar of incense was burnt continually unto the Lord. And that speaks about a place of prayer and meditation, okay? That's uh, an intercession as well. We see incense represents the prayers of the saints in the book of the Revelation, okay? So that incense is prayer and intercession. It's praying in the Spirit. Like Paul says, pray always in the Spirit. You're praying in your gift in, your t- in the tongues. You're feeding on the Word, praying on the Spirit. You're keeping the rhema of Word alive. And your soul will be a beautiful room. Okay. But typically, if we get the, the outer and the soul right, we get to enjoy the inner chamber much better. Remember, that, 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 that temple was a process. You had to start with the big sacrifices. You had to start with the, the acts of obedience and building your life in alignment with God. Then you would enter into the holy place where there's feeding on the word, feeding on the, declaring the rhema word, prayer, meditation. And as you start to do that, you enter into the place, the realm of the spirit, where you enjoy the presence of God more. Do you, do you, did I help you this morning? So you are that, okay? And if you want to be a carrier of the presence of God, those are some practical things you can do. Amen. Amen. Can, we, can we stand? I'm finished. Um, the greatest thing about us is that God has put His Spirit in us. Can we just bow our heads and pray for a moment father we we thank you for what you've done in transforming us into carriers of your presence we thank you that we are living temples father and we ask this morning lord for the grace to come upon us lord god that we could walk more carefully more diligently more purposefully so that we can enjoy your presence more in our homes, in our workplaces. Every day that we live, Father God. Father, we confess this morning where our desire has been to live separate from you. And then meet you on when, when we feel like it. But we confess that thing in us this morning. We repent of it. We recognize that you're a God who wants to be close to us. A God who wants to enjoy life with us and do life with us. You showed that when you sent your son Jesus. He came and he lived in and amongst us. And he dwelt with us and he, and he built friendships. And that's what you desire to do with us, desire to build friendship and life and do life with us. So we repent of old attitudes and old behaviors of thinking the church is a building we go to, but not recognizing that we are the church, we are the building that you want to dwell in every day. We pray for grace and strength, Father, to feed on your word and to walk with the rhema word and to, to pray and to meditate. If you're here this morning and, you, and there's some big decisions as I've been preaching that you know you're out of alignment with heaven, you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing with the wrong people. There's some wrong. I want you to take a moment just and, and just repent and, and, and just align with Him right now. Just confess. Confess what it is. Choose to align with Him. Can you need to end some stuff, start some stuff, sign up for some things, make that commitment now. What's out of sync? Can you take a moment and oh, just put your hands up before the Lord? Just receive from Him. Just receive the love, the touch that you need for your life, what He's called you to do. But I pray for a greater revelation of your congregation this morning. Lord, I pray for your presence Lord, to become more tangible to us, more real to us, more precious to us. And we would say there's one thing we want <laughs> one thing we desire that we may dwell with you all the days of our life Lord I bless this congregation in your name today may the Lord bless you may he keep you may he make his face to shine upon you. may the Lord lift up his countenance. And give you rest. Give you shalom. Give you peace. In your home, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your workplace. And you walk and live in the peace of God, Church. Amen. Amen. Guys, if you need prayer for anything, I, I think this like some of you are going through like a, a thing where you it's hard to align. If that's you. We'll pray with you. There'll be some leaders here. You're welcome just to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. But otherwise, there's tea and coffee outside. Our first time visitors, don't forget, there's a Connect Zone for you. We'll see you next week, church. Amen.